Man, you ought to just be here with us here. It is a glorious time, but I prayed this morning that the Spirit of God and the Spirit of this church would just come right into your home. The Shekinah glory of God would just come right into that room. Well, we welcome you here. For those of you that are on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, thank you for joining us here. And uh, we are getting reports back literally from all around the globe. There was a certain point in uh, these uh, broadcasts where we were reaching 10 times on a Sunday uh, what we normally were. So I was like, man, praise God. Now it's still a great number and actually thousands of listeners. So thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here with us. It's a glorious time. I cannot wait till we get together. And unless you tell me to stop, I'm going to hug your neck. And I'm going to let you know how much I love you. I miss you. I'm looking forward to being with you. I can't wait for all those little precious children to be running through my legs. And uh, it's going to be a glorious time. I will tell you that. People said, when are you going to reopen the church? First of all, we never closed. (laughs) We never closed. Jesus doesn't close his church. I will tell you right now that gates of hell shall not prevail against it. People say, well, uh, you know, you got to obey the government. Well, I will tell you how that works. Uh, We are voluntarily abiding by the guidelines. That's it, just voluntarily. Because the last time I checked, the government wasn't over God. Amen? (laughs) And so uh, we'll voluntarily, we'll try to do our part and be part of the solution and not the problem. But I will tell you that God is sovereign. God is Lord over all. Well, how do we turn our trials into triumphs? There's no doubt about it. Uh, Humans have trials so much of the time. A national survey was conducted a few years ago, and they asked this question. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? One question, what would it be? You know what the number one top response was? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? And I will agree, hardship, adversity, afflictions, it's a perplexing problem and certainly universal. In Scripture, adversity is called a trial. Interesting choice of words. A trial, or we might say a test. What does it mean? The New Testament words means to prove by difficult testing. I don't know if you like tests or not, but uh, medical tests are not especially fun, but those educational tests, man, they can be stressful. If you know all the answers, well, you know, you probably like them, but I didn't know that wasn't always the case for me. In fact, a lot of times it wasn't, but they are painful. They're a test. That's why they're called a test. It reminds me of the one guy that said, I don't mind obstacles as long as they don't get in my way. And that's the way I feel about tests. You know, I wouldn't mind a test, but it's a test. They are allowed by God. They are used by God to get our attention. And ultimately, every trial, every test is used by God for His glory. Every test is used by God for His glory. They can range from the super short, that demonically possessed mosquito that's flying around my head, you know, lasts for just a couple of seconds, but oh man, that's irritating. 
or it can be, honestly, a lifetime of physical or relational mental pain. The emotional situations we get ourselves into, the financial, the sickness that we oftentimes go through as individuals, as families, and even as groups, we find ourselves in trials. Nobody is exempt. I'll say that again. Nobody is exempt. It may seem like some have less than others, but the fact is we all have them. The Apostle Paul reminded us of this great truth very succinctly in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22. He was going back over in his missionary's journeys, and he said, confirming the souls of the disciples. (laughs) He said, we got to go back and strengthen their heart because uh, these trials are under difficult. Notice what he said, that we must it's a necessity through much tribulation, not just a little bit, but through much trial, we should enter in the kingdom of God. Isn't it nice that God gives us a heads up? Thank God he tells us that, hey, look, it's not going to be an easy road. And to be forewarned is certainly to be forearmed. Of late, uh, we've had to endure nationwide and worldwide a very nasty virus. And thousands, tens of thousands have lost their lives to it, and it's been terrible. And in America and other places as well, all of our lives have been upended by these lockdowns. And unfortunately, the Christian church seems to be struggling so much with this. It seems to be extreme. It seems to be kind of uh, inconsistent. Someone the other day said, hey, pastor, why is it that they can have 200 people over at the Home Depot, but we can't even have 10 at church. I said, you know what? Let's do. Next week, we're going to the plumbing department over there on Sunday, and let's have church right down there. If you can have it. Well, truth is, it's a trial. The church is going through a trial, but as a church, we can be the victim or we can be the victor. We can let this mess just be a mess, or we can turn it into a message. And by God's grace, we're going to turn this trial into a triumph. And we're going to come back better than ever. And as Pastor Luke said a few moments ago, stronger than ever. And I tell you what's already been the case. I, we, uh, we're just excited about all the things that have been going on. Our church has not stepped back. We just leaned into this thing. And uh, thank God for your support. Couldn't do it without each of you. Well, let's pray and let's ask God's blessings on this message right now. Father, turn our trial into a triumph. Thank you for your wonderful word. Teach us be with us. And Lord, right now, I pray that that person who's sitting there will just stop. And for the next few moments, we'll just turn off everything and just sit down and listen to this message. And we pray that, Lord, you'll touch us all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go to the book of James, chapter one. Chapter one of the book of James. It's a great chapter. It's a great book because uh, Brother James, Pastor James, was uh, trying to lead a people, a difficult season uh, in the first century church. Uh, They were being persecuted. There was uh, uh, financial issues. There was uh, all kinds of trouble going on. And he said, look, we've got to be able to endure this thing, and we've got to be able to understand our victory in Christ. And so in these first few verses of chapter one, he starts right out, doesn't do a lot of mincing of words. He just said, look, here's what we need to do. Six different steps. We've gone over four of them so far in the first two weeks. And today, the Lord willing, we'll finish this series. What should we do? Number one, let's review a joyful attitude. K 
count it joy. Now, God's not saying we have to walk around with a big grin plastered on our face, you know. I've seen some of these new face masks people are wearing. Some have lips, you know, and some have the name of teams on it, you know. And uh, I, I'm, I've been thinking of a few ones to put on mine. But at any rate, um, count it all joy. I don't think God's expecting us to walk around with a bunch of teeth hanging out saying, I'm just so happy. I think what he's talking about is that we ought to get excited when we think forward. And actually the word there, count it joy, means to think forward. To have a premature nostalgia. Go ahead and say, you know what? God's going to do something with this. God never just misuses a crisis. He always does something good with it. And so let's get joyful. Number two, a solid believing. I've got to ground myself. The first part of verse three says, knowing we've got to believe, but we've got to more importantly cleave to the truth. And we ought to anchor ourselves in some bedrock truths, or else the winds of adversity are going to blow us away. Number three, a trusting patience. The last part of that, verse three, says that the trying of your faith, working patience. Since I know that God is wise, since I know He's loving, since I know He's always just, then I can trust Him. I can trust God. Therefore, let's be patient. Let's be patient. Uh, There's all kinds of ideas about what we should do, what we should not do. And I just remind all of us, let's just be patient. Let's trust God. Let's, uh, we'll, God will give us the, the idea of when to go ahead, what to do. But in the meantime, we can all trust that God is doing something wonderful. Notice what it says. It's a trial of faith. It's not just a physical trial. It's not just a mental trial. This is a test of our faith. <laughs> it gets down into your gizzard. And there are times when honestly something happens in your life where it gets down to where you live. I mean, really seriously down inside. It is a test of your faith. And then when God comes through for you, that you pass that test and you get strength. I remember asking somebody once, uh, a new believer, a relatively new believer, I said, have, or a person, I just said, have you ever asked Jesus, have you ever accepted Christ into your life? And they said, oh yeah, 50 times at least. <laughs> and I know what they're talking about because I've had that same feeling early in my years. I used to wonder about that, honestly. I would wonder, I would doubt. But I can tell you here at the age I am now as a senior pastor in all these years, I will tell you, I don't have that doubt anymore. What happened? trials. You say, did you get firm in the word? Oh, I just got trials. <laughs> and it's amazing what the trials will do to just, you know God. You just know how God works, and you're just thankful for God. And so God says the trial will just secure your faith. It will just help you know the depth of your faith and the reality of your faith, and it will just help you understand the uh, what your faith is really made out of. And so that's what God says. Number three, a trusting patience. We can trust God because of his great nature, because of the experiences we've gone through. I can be patient. All right. And then number four, we talked about a praying wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, I qualify. I may not be able to qualify always having faith. <laughs> I may not always be able to qualify that I've been nice or I've been sweet or I've been kind, but I tell you one thing, I do qualify for not having faith. God says, if you don't have faith, then pray this. 
Okay, I qualify. Pray this way. Oh God, give me wisdom. And he gives to everybody, anybody who asks, and he will never reproach you for asking. I'll tell you one thing. In the midst of a trial, you must pray for wisdom. Now, when everything is going good, you know, we're on autopilot. We kind of got our Christian life figured out. We just kind of get up in the morning, go about our little uh, devotions and all that. But I will tell you, God can get you past that. (laughs) He can get you to the point where my little devotional book, my whatever, I need the wisdom of God. And that's in the midst of pain. You need to talk to somebody who has perspective, somebody who can take a step back and can give you the big picture. That's God. Ask God for wisdom, and then you'll be able to kind of get a grip on what's happening. All right. All right. Take your Bible now, and let's open it up to verse number six, James chapter one. Today, we are going to finish the final two. Number five, a constant steadiness. All right. Let's read verses five, excuse me, verse six, seven, and eight together. But let him ask in faith. Are you reading it? I think it's good for you to read out loud. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Look at that little part there in the verse 6. Nothing wavering. That means to be indecisive. God says, when it comes to God, you can't be an undecided voter. Now, when it comes to the general elections, you might say, well, I'm thinking about this person, or I'm thinking about this person. I'm in this party, or I'm in this party, or I'm an independent. God says, when it comes to God, you can't be an undecided voter. You've got to make your vote. Vote for God. Don't be a doubter. Now, contrary to what people think often, Doubt is not the opposite of belief. Many times uh, people say, oh, you're a doubter, so you're an unbeliever. Actually, that's not an accurate description because an unbeliever means they don't have faith. But actually, a doubter can have faith, but they don't have the right kind of faith. It's a spirit. It is a sense. It is a place that you're at where you are just between two opinions. That's why it says in verse number eight, it says a double-minded man. Actually, the word mind there is sukas, which means we're a soul. God said, people who doubt God have two souls. With one God, with one soul, they're making a vote for God. And with one soul, they're making a vote for the devil. God said, you can't be like that if you expect to get to victory in this situation. You've got to make up your mind. Now, a few years ago, my precious wife and I had the privilege of being overseas on a missionary trip, and we were preparing to get into a small little boat. And so she had gotten in successfully, and she's a pretty nimble gal there. I'm not so nimble, but uh, there I was on that little uh, rickety dock. It was not the best of dock, but it was at least pretty solid. And so I reached out with my other foot, stepped into that boat. All of a sudden, I had second thoughts. That boat looked pretty small and kind of crazy. But now I was stuck. I had one foot in an old boat that was kind of waving. The other foot was on the deck. 
I, on the dock, I needed to make a choice. And so my wife said, honey, get in the boat. Get in the boat. The guys that were in the boat said, get in the boat. (laughs) I had to make my choice. Folks, I'm telling you this morning, get in the boat. Quit sitting around, one foot in the world, one foot into God, and saying, well, I just don't know what to do. Folks, get in the boat. Get into your Bible and hold on to that thing. Get in the boat. And that's what God is saying here. I think Elijah gives us a great illustration of that. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, you may remember that story. Here's old brother Elijah. You got to love Elijah. Elijah the Tishbite. Bible doesn't tell us any more about him, that he just came onto the scene blowing into the wind. He blew out the same way that he came in. Thank God for brother Elijah. What a great man of God. And there he was preaching to the people. And he said, you folks are crazy. He said, you are worshiping Baal, basically just another term for Satan. You are Satanists in one hand and you're worshiping Jehovah with the other hand. He wasn't saying some of you worship Satan and some of you worship Jehovah. He was saying, you're trying to get the best of both worlds. And notice what he said. How long, 1 Kings 18, 21, how long halt ye between two opinions? He said, if the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal be God, then follow him. You've got to make your choice. You've got to get steady. You've got to get constant. You can't keep waffling here. Get in the boat. You can't do both. And that's what God is saying here. He's saying in order to to get through this trial, in order to turn it into a triumph, you've just got to make some decisions. You've got to say, you know what? That's it. I just just believe God. I believe it's, uh, you know, in the early church, uh, a lot of times the, the liturgical church still does so. They will have people quote uh, a confession of faith. In fact, it's called a liturgy. So they all say, I believe in God, the Father, Holy Spirit, and I, uh, you know, the church of God. And they'll have this long list. And unfortunately, it can get kind of routine and people just kind of forget it. But the truth is, if you read some of those wonderful doctrinal confessions, they are amazing. And there's a value, I think, in quoting it. I think you ought to get your Bible one day, and you ought to get up in the morning, or go outside and to the pea patch out there, go to the Walden Orchard, and just take your Bible and say, God, I believe you are Lord. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe every word in this Bible is true. Just affirm it. Say, I know God, that you are loving. I know that you're a good God. Just affirm it. Just don't be of two souls. Just make that decision. Get in the boat. Just make a choice. You'd say, well, I'm not so sure. Folks, then as long as you're not sure, you're going to be unstable. Just make a decision. You say, well, what if I'm wrong? Well, I'll tell you one thing. If you go with God and you go with the Bible and somehow it's not the best possible life, you know what? I think you've still made out all right because you get to go to heaven and you've got a great life. Just follow God. Just determine, I love God and I love his word and I believe God. He said, and now he gives a simile. Look at verse number six. James is really 
uh, often uses these little word pictures, a simile. He said, don't be like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Uh, he, he said, some people are like the ocean. One minute they're coming in, and then a few minutes later, they're going out, back and forth, up and down. One day, boy, they're with God. Next day, they're not with God. You know, on Sunday, boy, they're, they're singing. On Saturday night, boy, they're singing their drunkard song in some bar somewhere. God said, make your choice. Get on God's side. You cannot get really anywhere and be a undecided voter. You've got to make a choice. People have sometimes wondered about how I could keep going all these years. I will tell you one reason is because just early on, I just decided I'm just going to go out for God. I just, that's it. I'm just going to, I just want to serve God the rest of my life. I just not, I want to serve God and I've never looked back. That doesn't mean I haven't had doubts at times. It's just saying that I made a choice. And I think when we make a choice, we decide whose team we're on. The Apostle Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians. He said, man, what is going on in this church? You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21, he said, what are you doing? He said, some of you on Sunday morning are going down to the pagan temple. You are worshiping Jupiter or Venus or whatever. You're down here at the, uh, he's talking, remember he's in Corinth now. He said, you're down here making sure you appease your pagan gods. You're eating your pagan altar sacrifices. Then he said, you're coming right down to the church and then worshiping God. He said, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of the devils. You just got to make your choice because he said, if you try to do both, you effectively have no faith. And now here's the scary thing. I'll tell you one thing this week, as I was reading verse seven, all of a sudden, it's like God put the brakes on. He said, look at this verse. It's like the Holy Spirit just put a spotlight on it. And I was like, whoa, boy, that's a strong verse. Look at verse 7. Read it with me. For let not that man, <laughs> for let not that man think he should receive anything of the Lord. Don't even think about it. Because of that kind of a person, worshiping the pagan God and then going on down to the church house, he said, it's not going to work. You, that kind of man will never have the favor of God. And that's exactly what he's talking about. You won't receive anything from God. That's grace. Grace means the favor of God, the gifts of God. God said, forget it. If you're not all out for God, you can't get his favor. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get his mercy, but I want his favor. I want the peace of God, the wisdom of God, the joy of God, and the strength of God. That man... That woman who hasn't made a choice, they're an undecided voter. God said it's not going to work. You'd say, well, that seems rather harsh of God. Not at all. Not at all. You'd say, why? What is God saying there? Let me tell you what God is saying. The reason God won't give you those riches, riches of joy and of you know, wisdom and of that sense of well-being, the reason you can't get that, those wonderful things from God is because he knows he can't trust you with it. You, you won't value it. Uh, let's imagine that I ha had a beautiful uh, ring, a beautiful diamond ring. 
and I had it in a box. And I would, uh, now I would never give that to a little toddler, a little toddler granddaughter. Here you go, sweetie. Why? Because they would throw the ring away and play with the box. They do not value something that is of precious. That's just they're immature, and we don't blame them. It's just they're immature. God said, if you are so immature, and you can't make up your mind whose team you're on, you're an undecided voter, you have two souls, one soul for God, one soul for the devil. He said, I can't trust you, because if I was to give you the jewels of my truth, you would throw away the jewels and play with the box. And by the way, that's a lot of times what happened in the church today. All kinds of hype going on and hype going on. The modern church seems like we're playing with the box and the jewel of God's word is not going forth. Folks, here's what you need to do. If you've never done this, I just encourage you to do this. You need to get your Bible in your hand. You need to hold it to your chest and say, I love the Bible. I believe the Bible. Every word is true. I mean, Maybe what you ought to do for a while is just take that big old Bible, walk around with it for a while. Maybe take it to work with you. Set it on your desk. Maybe put it in your car there and take it everywhere you go. Take it to the restaurant. Set it there. Just as a, maybe a, 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 a few days or whatever. Oh, you can't go to the restaurant, okay? Well, the, the, hold on to it when the door dash comes and just go to the door with it in your arm like that. <laughs> but whatever. The fact is, you'd ought to say, look, I love my Bible. Every word is true. You'd say, well, I just don't know every word is true. That's because you're a dingling. Don't let your don't let being a dingling and being a nutcase keep you from having faith in God. If you had, if you if you had brains, you would love the Bible. So just figure out that way. Say, oh, I'm so stupid, I just figure I might as well just be stupid for Jesus. I might as well just love the Bible. In fact, the smartest people I know love the Word. There's something that will happen the minute you just say, I believe the Bible, every word. Do You don't believe every word. I remember one uh, cleric, uh, and I use the word loosely, came to my office, wondered if he just showed up unannounced and came to the secretary, asked if they could come in and speak with me. And I said, well, I have a few moments. I kind of had my doubts, but uh, this cleric came into my office and very kindly, you know, began his little speech. And I was a little bit suspicious, but I was trying to, you know, be, uh, give him, you know, the benefit of the doubt. And so he began to, but it wasn't too long until his little talk where he began to denigrate the word of God and to say that this couldn't be possibly true. And I said, you don't really believe that, do you? And I looked at him and said, my friend, I believe every single word in the Bible, even those I don't understand. I still believe it. I made my vote years ago, folks. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. His book is true. God says, if you want to receive things from God, that's what you got to do. You've just got to make your choice. Make your choice. Many people just don't make a choice. And so as an undecided voter, they're just wishy-washy. Look what it says in verse 8. A double-minded man. The word there is two Greek words, di, which is the word for two, di, sukas. Two souls. On one hand, he's hanging on to God. The other hand, hanging on to the devil. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says it this way. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You either got to make a choice. Either going to be a, uh, 
a fan of God and a lover of God or an enemy of God. First John chapter two and verse 15 says, if you love the world, the love of the father is not in him. Now, what does it mean when a person has two souls? Well, um, many times it's referring to a person who really is an unbeliever or at least acts like an unbeliever. Doctor, or excuse me, the famous um, Christian writer from the Reformation period, John Bunyan, in his amazing epic book, and every Christian ought to read it. I'm not a real big one for allegories, but I, even I uh, got a lot out of this one. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan, the great Baptist preacher, wrote it while he was in prison. It's an amazing, amazing allegorical look at the Christian walk. In that book, he talks about one Christian called Mr. Facing Both Ways. Mr. Facing Both Ways. I'll tell you what, we ought to put that as maybe uh, our little nickname once in a while, Mr. Facing Both Ways. No, I want to be facing one way. When I was a young person growing up, we used to sing old hymns. We never sang choruses. I love uh, most of these choruses. They're just awesome. But uh, we never sang choruses other than in the youth group. We sang hymns. And there was one old hymn that we used to sing. It's called, Oh, Happy Day. Oh, Happy Day. But listen to these words. Oh, Happy Day that fixed my choice. Now rest my long divided heart. Happy day, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. Boy, it was a happy day when my divided heart finally realized I was on my way to heaven, when I was convinced of it. And I will tell you, a divided heart is trouble. The Bible says you'll be unstable. It reminds me of the story of the young girl and the young man, they were talking. The young man decided he would propose to her. He loved her so much. He said to her, darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in this world. And I want you to marry me. I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht or a Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown, but I want you to know I love you with all my heart. She thought about it for a minute. And then she replied, she said, I love you too with all my heart. But tell me more about Johnny Brown. <laughs> yeah. You know, a divided heart is trouble, I will tell you. It is trouble, a two-souled person. You say, well, pastor, you don't understand. It's complicated. It is not complicated. It is only complicated in your brain. You make your choice today. I serve God or I don't serve God. I love God or I don't love God. It's not complicated. You either serve Jesus or you don't. You love the Bible or you don't. You love God or you don't. It is not complicated. Quit saying it's complicated. Well, I'm just kind of an educated type. Well, then if you're educated, you'll love the Bible. You'd say, I'm just kind of a proof kind of guy. Well, then praise God. There's nobody that has more proof than the word of God. I tell you what, make your choice. Make your choice. That word unstable is the same word translated in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, where it says, God is not the author of confusion. Confusion. It says a double-minded man is confused in all his ways. David said it this way in the Old Testament in Psalm 86 and verse 11. He said, God, unite my heart to fear thy name. Unite my heart because so many people had had a piece of his heart. 
You know, I mean, this person had a piece of his heart, and this person, this little activity he liked to do, this little situation, this little building or whatever, he had a thousand lesser lovers. And he finally decided, God, I need a, man, I am, I'm, I'm going in every direction at once. I need my heart to be united for you and for you alone. A faith-based life is an amazing life. It is an amazing road to travel. That's why Proverbs 3 and verse 17 says, it is a road of pleasantness. It is a way of pleasantness. It is a path of peace. Choose your path, folks. Choose your path. Don't be unstable. You'd say, well, I struggle, folks. You don't need to struggle. You can just be all out for Jesus. I can tell you, I know. Sometimes, you know, ah, I don't want to be one of those hardcore, radical kind of Christians. And so, you know, you kind of hedge on one side. And then say, well, I better serve God because maybe it's right. And, and so you go to church and, you, you know, you're kind of just a nominal Christian. Folks, just make your choice. <laughs> just make your choice. Have you ever seen an agitator inside of a, uh, a washing machine? That little thing on the inside that shakes back and forth? It's called an agitator. The other day we went to look for a new um, washing machine, and they don't even have agitators anymore. I was like, what in the world? How does that work? But whatever. Back in the day, we had agitators. It would go this way, it'd go this way, and then shake that thing up. One way, back. One way, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Pretty soon, your clothes is all washed up, all clean. I will tell you, if you're one day with God and one day away from God, pretty soon you're going to be so agitated, you're going to be all washed up. <laughs> you're going to be a washed up Christian. I don't mean clean. I just mean all washed out and worn out because you have been agitated by this on with God, off with God. Go to church, not go to church. Serve God, not serve God. Read my Bible, not read Bible. Come on. You're just agitating yourself to death. When I went to Bible college 45 years ago, it was an incredible experience. I had never been in a Christian school. I had dreamed of the thought of going to a Christian school. I remember my dad telling me when I was in high school, he said, son, they have a Christian high school in Dianuba. I said, a Christian high school? What is that? He said, well, you actually go there and you teach the Bible during the day and they have Christians there. I said, really? They have, that's what, they have that? <laughs> I, I remember being so excited. We actually considered it didn't work out. But uh, when I got to go to college, a Bible college? I couldn't believe it. Unbelievable to go to college where there were Christians and you learn the Bible. Man, I got my Bible. I went to Bible college. I was so excited. A Christian school, a Christian college. Something unique happened. About a few weeks in, a couple months in, it took a little while to, for me to kind of get figured out. But I realized not everybody was on fire for Jesus. In fact, it was crazy. There was actually quite a number of these young students who were in Bible college. They were in Christian college. I don't know why they were there because they didn't seem to be on ready to just really serve God. They were double-minded. And uh, I remember being in chapel and the preacher would preach and I had a, some friends there. We were young theologues, you know, preacher boys. And, and uh, I'd say, amen. And uh, we'd holler a little bit. Pretty soon, a row of folks ahead of us, they started turning around, kind of giving us a dirty look like, you know, you hardcore crazy guys, what are you doing back there? All of a sudden, I was like, what in the world? I thought, 
all my life I wanted to be in a Christian school. I finally get to go there, go to a chapel. I'm so excited. And then in the very chapel have someone denigrate. Look at me. It's like, you're crazy. I had a choice to make. Am I going to be a cool Christian or an all-out Christian? I just decided I'd stay being a shouting Christian. And so for 45 years, I've been shouting to Jesus. And now I'm old enough, I'm a dancing Christian. I can dance now without people thinking anything bad. Well, they may think something, I'm crazy. But, you know, I want to go ahead and be a shouting Christian to the end and a dancing Christian to the end. Why? Because you need to make your choice. Make your choice. Get in the boat. Either stay on the dock or get in the boat. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. (laughs) That's what we got to do. A constant steadiness. Because if not, the Bible says you're going to be confused, unsteady. You're never going to get anything from God. All right, number six, and we must hurry on. A humble spirit. You'd say, what? What? I have to get humility to be able to make it through a trial? Yep. Look at these verses. Verse 6, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. He's got riches in heaven. But the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade in his ways. What is God doing in trials? He is making us humble. (laughs) Pastor James said, brother, if you were a follower of Christ, God is going to be working to keep you humble and make you humble because humility, now, not maybe what the world thinks, but there is a sense of God-dependentness and my utter um, dependence on Him that He's trying to bring about in my life. He said, now, if you're a brother of low degree. So he said, now, in the church, there are brothers and sisters of low degree, meaning on the economic scale, they might be uh, lower. Or on the education scale, they might be lower. Or maybe on the prestige chart. You know, they just kind of, they're not, uh, you know, the rich and the famous. They're just, uh, it's a kind way, an elegant way that the Holy Spirit writes it there, a brother of low degree. <laughs> Not meaning that you're low class, just means that uh, that's the situation. And certainly in the first century church, that was the case. Most in the church were slaves. In fact, many of these uh, churches, 90% or more of the church were basically slaves. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, he said, there's not many noble, not many high, but occasionally there are. He said, now here's the deal. He said, if you are low, he said, then get happy because God has placed you in a place where he can bless you and favor you. Now, this is very counterintuitive. I love that word, counterintuitive. It is just like God to do something that really doesn't make sense logically, but it's true. (laughs) For example, did you know that the studies have shown that the less options that you're presented with, the more likely you are to be uh, satisfied with the choice you make. A very good example is the automobile sales. If you are given 10 cars to choose from and you choose a car, you'll probably end up less happy than if you only have two cars to choose from. It's just human nature. Counterintuitive, the less choices you have, 
the happier you are with the choice you've made. Now, I know certainly that's my case when it comes to food. We go out to eat. I love to eat at In-N-Out Burger. You got a cheeseburger or a hamburger, that's it. That's your choice. Don't have anything else. And I'm always happy with my choice. I get that double-double there with grilled onions. And well, I'll tell you what, I love my choice. But now I go to Subway. Oh, dear Lord, I can't go to Subway. I have sensory overload. Hello, sir. Would you like flat bread? Would you like puff bread? Would you like wheat bread? Would you like grain bread? Would you like it toasted? Would you like oil on it? Would you like pepper on it? Would you like mustard? Would you like mustard? <laughs> I've been asked 30 questions in the space of 60 seconds. I can't do this. And I never enjoy my sandwich. I just like, you know, I should I should have had this on it. I should have had, you know what? I should have toasted it. Maybe I should have put this kind of cheese. Oh, counter intuitive. God says it's counterintuitive, but here's the fact. Your humbling will lead to happiness. Your humbling will lead to exaltation. Your humbling will actually lead to a place where you're going to be so satisfied with your life. David saw it that way. You remember the story of the Old Testament? Very difficult time in David's life. Uh, he had been going through some very bad spell, um, and a jealous, bitter, disloyal, and I tell you one thing, I can't, there's about anything in life, I, but there's one thing I just can't hardly stomach is disloyalty. I mean, I, honestly, I just, I've never understood it, never thought of it as good. I mean, I just, I can't stand it. But this, and this guy, uh, Shimei, just saw David's bad situation, and he decided to take advantage of it. And so here they were traveling, and Shimei gets rocks and starts chucking them at the king. Then he takes handfuls of dust and throws them at the king. I mean, how shameful, how, uh, how terrible to be so disrespectful to the position of his king, Shimei. Well, um, Abishai, who is King David's bodyguard and this guy, is, I love Abishai. Man, you talk about a, a, a man who was a great warrior. Abishai looked at king and said, king, say one word, I'll take his head off. He called him a dog. He said, I'll take, the, I'll take that dog's head off. <laughs> In Christian love, I'm sure he's done that. And uh, King David said, no way. What? Second Kings 16.10. The Lord said to Shimei, curse David. What? David saw the big picture. Verse 12. It may be that the Lord will look upon mine affliction and the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. David said, not on your life. He said, God is humbling me and in humility, God will favor me because that's what follows humility. There are five great reasons to live humbly, according to Brother Solomon in the book of Proverbs. Number one, God gives favor to the humble. Proverbs 3 and verse 34. Surely he scorneth the scorner, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. If you live a biblical lifestyle, one thing I can assure you of, you're going to receive the scorn of a scorner. But God says you'll get my respect. And I'd rather have God's respect than a scorner's any day. You know, there's a lot of educational degrees out there, and I've been very grateful to have at least two of them. I did graduate from high school. I really did. 
But uh, I have a graduate in theology, and I was also honored with a doctor of divinity. I'm grateful for those. Yet I will say this, that college degrees are not always what they're cracked up to be. Do you know which question is most asked by someone with a college degree in art or history? What is the one question that they most often ask? Sir, would you like fries with that? <laughs> but I will tell you this, if I'm going to get a degree, here's the one degree I want. Whether I, THDDD, here's the one thing, I want a WD degree. I want God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want. I want the honor of God. I don't care about the scorners. Number two, God gives riches to the humble. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches Humility brings riches. Now, the idea I get is spiritual riches, spiritual riches like joy and faith and uh, all these great things. But I, I, actually, the same word is used for physical riches. And I know enough about God to know that when you get your life in order and you're spiritual, it's not unlike God to give us those other blessings as well. But I'd say one thing, I want the riches of his knowledge and his truth. Number three, God gives honor to the humble. Proverbs 22 and verse 4, honor. God says that when you become a humble person, you can live as an honorable person with your head held high, with the respect of people that you're doing the right thing. You're a helpful person and you're an obedient person and you're a respectful person. It's a great feeling to be respectful. And for those of you that have lost the respect of others, get it biblical and you watch and it may require some humbling, but God will uh, give you that good degree. Number four, God gives life to the humble. Proverbs 22, 4. Life comes from humility. You know, some make a living, others make a life. And humility leads to a life that matters for eternity. And number five, God gives wisdom to the humble. Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. With the lowly is wisdom. You know, pride often gets in the way of real wisdom and real knowledge. God can't pour his knowledge into hands that are already full. An immature person looks at what they have and thinks it's plenty. And yet people who think past that know how good it could be to get the riches of God. I have all these wonderful grandchildren and they're just a delight. Every once in a while, I'll play a game with them. And uh, maybe they give them a little handful of coins. And so they'll hold all those pennies, maybe some nickels, a few dimes. And uh, we see this a lot of times at Easter. You know, we put them in the little Easter uh, eggs there. But they'll get that little handful of uh, coins. And then I'll pull out maybe a $5 bill in my hand and say, I'll trade you. And they're like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'll trade you. Mm-mm. <laughs> Why? Because they don't understand the value and and the truth is, God can't pour his wisdom in the hands that are already full with human knowledge. You know, I tried that with my wife. She had some little bit of money. I said, honey, I'll trade you. She said, okay. <laughs> she just took that so, and didn't work with her. But at any rate, um, the Bible says that here, look what it says. Now, I want you to look. Let's go back to James chapter 1, verse number 10. He deals with another group. Now, first of all, he's dealing with the poor. He said, now, if you are a man of low degree, a woman of low degree, he said, God's humbling you. That's a good thing. Now, verse 10, if you're rich, 
Now he doesn't take this opportunity to say, boy, you rich people, man, I tell you what, you know, you're probably a crook. And no, he doesn't say that's a bad thing. He said, nothing wrong with that. He said, but rejoice in every opportunity to be made low. Get happy that you get a chance to be made humble. You'd say, well, how in the world does he humble a rich person? Well, he explains it. He said, just like a flower, it appears in spring, you know, beautiful area of Israel and that area just like it is here, you know, very similar in its uh, topography and its uh, climate. In the spring, we have all these California poppies that come out here in California. They're beautiful, just amazing. But I'll tell you one thing, by May, later May, they are fried to a crisp. They're just temporary, beautiful, wonderful. Enjoy them. They're, they're great. It's lovely. They're just incredible to walk by them and look at them. You just can't, amazing, uh, can't believe how amazing they are. But he said, they're just temporary. So he says to the rich people, he said, your life is like a flower. It appears and then it's gone. He said, rejoice in every opportunity to realize that what you have is temporary. What you have is temporary. At the end of the day, you're just like everybody else. You go to the grave. Someone once said, when the game is over, the king and the pawn go back into the same box. My friend, just remember, life is temporary. Everything just comes and then it goes. Did you realize it's temporary? Everything you have is temporary. Everything. That house, temporary. That checking account, temporary. That job, temporary. It's all temporary. Every one of it. It is. Even as much as we love our relationships, my friend, it's temporary. That's why we need to give all we can to that and do that we, all that we can. But really, there are only two things. <laughs> two things. There are only two things that are eternal that we get a chance to deal with every day, and that is a human soul and the Word of God. A human soul and the Word of God. Those are eternal. Let's invest. By the way, that's what a church does. It invests in those two things. That's why it's such a great thing to do with our lives. A humble life is filled with the promises of God. God says to the rich, you'll triumph in your humbling. Your humble trial might be the loss of a position, a job you always wondered or always had and always loved that you could have and wished that you could have. You finally get it. And if you lose it, God said rejoice in it because it's a way of God's bringing triumph into your life. Your humble trial might be a husband that abandons a family, and now you have that word divorce next to your name. Your humble trial might be a wife that has an affair, and now you have to be one whose family is uh, broken. All of us go through humbling experiences. We may have been rich in relationships or rich in money or rich in position, and when those things fade away, those temporary things fade like flowers, God's realized that these things will turn that trial into a triumph. And the fact of the matter is, you can't destroy a humble faith with a trial. All you can do is manifest its character. One of the things I'm intrigued by are these people who do metal detecting. It just uh, fascinates me to, you know, walk around and go to places and maybe find a big chunk of gold up there, you know, and the foothills there, the gold country, or I always am intrigued when some bloke, as they call him over there in the UK, you know, goes uh, metal detecting out in some farmer's field out there in England somewhere and then finds something. And 
Now notice what they find. They find a big old thing looks like a dirty old rock. Just all dirt on it and just all corroded. But the fact is, they had, there's something in there. There is, uh, on the outside, it doesn't look very good, but there is a, a jewel. Maybe it's a Viking a sword, or maybe it's an old Roman coin, and once it gets all cleaned up, look at that. And folks, that's our lives sometimes are just like that. They On the outside, they don't look very good, but God is doing something special. It is a jewel on the inside. Sailing aficionados say that, surprisingly, the safest wind for going into a harbor is a crosswind. And for us, going to that harbor of eternity, the safest one is not one that just is behind us blowing us straight in, but we can most navigate because of that crosswind. With that in mind, I remember reading, and I looked it up, and I, I love this. You may have heard of Ella Wheeler Wilcox at the turn of the century. Uh, it's an amazing American author and poet. She's famous for the line, laugh and the world laughs with you, weep, and you weep alone. But she wrote a piece about life, how that it's like sailing into a port. I want to share it with you. I'm going to ask our worship team if they'll begin to make their way up here because we want to give our, we want to today, we want to say, you know what, we're sailing. But by God's grace, we'll get to that port. Here's her thoughts. I will not doubt, though all my ships at sea come drifting home with broken masts and sails. I shall believe the hand which never fails from seeming evil worketh good to me. And though I weep because those sails are battered, and still I will cry. While my best hopes lie shattered, I trust in you. And though I groan and tremble with my crosses, I shall yet see through my severest losses the greater gain. My soul braves every gale, so strong its courage that it will not fail to breast the mighty unknown sea of death. Oh, I cry, I do not doubt. And that's me, and that's you, my friend. I'm sailing into that port with a battered sail. <laughs> The crosswinds pushing me this way and pushing me that way. But I do not doubt. I do not doubt. Have you ever noticed how different people respond so differently to trials? The ungodly, the more that God lays upon their hand, the more that they rebel against God. But you find a humble, godly, faithful Christian and the more overwhelmed they are with trials, the more they throw themselves into the arms of God, the mercy of God. The same hand that brings about a loving chastisement, they hold it and they kiss it. My friends, we're going to turn our trials into triumphs. We're going to turn this into God. Best, we're going to do something good for God. And that's God's plan for you and I. This is a crazy season right now for the church of God, and it may be a crazy season in your own life, but I will promise you it's just a season. And with these six principles, we can turn a trial into a triumph.
we can take this old ship battered and torn and sail in to that port.